appreciate you all helping out, being together, making the church work smoothly. Amen. If you have your Bible, it's going to turn to the first book of the Bible in chapter 3. I'm going to start a new series um, tonight, to, yeah, tonight, and um, we're going to go, I'm not sure how long this is going to go for, but it's about questions God asked. Most of them are going to be questions directly from God, uh, but others will be questions found in the Bible, and um, there's a number of them. When Jesus was here on earth, he was asked many questions, um, and so we should, uh, you think you'd want to ask Jesus questions. He was the Son of God, and you want to get some information out, and so People asked Jesus, while he was here on earth in his three years of ministry, they asked him 135 questions. And that's a good start. That's a good sign. And because people should, should ask God questions. And all your questions you can bring to God, like I spoke of this morning. When you seek God, he'll give you the answers. But another part of that is that Jesus also asked some questions too. Jesus asked some questions. And he actually asked 276 questions. So he asked more than double the questions that were asked of him. So this is, this is something very interesting. So the first lesson we get, smart people ask questions. Amen. Amen. Praise That's okay. Oh, I mean myself. Jesus asked questions. Now, did Jesus need to know information? Why would Jesus ask questions? The reason he asked questions is so we can start thinking. And we can start to understand. There's a power in a question. It creates a connection. It creates destiny, it creates uh, action, inspires action, it gets you thinking in ways that you never thought before. So we're going to look at the first question in the Bible. We're actually going to look at three. There's four in our text, I'm going to do three. And tonight I'm going to preach about where, who, and what. These are three questions that we can ask ourselves this evening. Genesis 3, starting in verse 8. And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam said to his, uh, and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should eat, not eat? And the man said, the woman you gave me, <laughs> I love that, it's so funny. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave her the tree and I ate. It's, all, it's always the wife's fault. We've got a biblical scripture right here. It's always like, verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Amen. Where, who, and what? Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. And I pray, help us to apply these questions to our lives. God, help us to answer them. Help us to think about them. God, you already know the answer, but help us to understand why you're asking. Let it be in the forefront of our mind. Let the Holy Spirit touch every person. We give you all the glory tonight, what you're going to do in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody says, Amen. Firstly, where? The first question God asks in the whole Bible is, where are you? Where are you? God had custom made Eden for Adam. This was this garden. It was perfect. It was custom made only for Adam. No one else lived in it. No one else had been in there before. He was the first one there. It says in Genesis 2, 15 to 17, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of, uh, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we know the story. God says, don't. So they did, right? And that's usually most of us. God says, don't do this. So straight away, we, we go and do it. And the story continues. So we learn a couple of things. Number one, 
even when you're not where you're supposed to be, you know where God is. You know where God can be found. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. They were hiding, yet they knew where God was. It's funny, people, we try and hide from God, but you always know where you're supposed to be. Have you ever missed church? And the whole time you're in the church, I know where I'm supposed to be. I know where God is. I know where God is moving. They can still hear God. So number one, even when you're, not, when you're not where you're supposed to be, you know where God is. Number two, hiding from God is pointless. And Adam said to his wife, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I love this. This is the original hide and go seek. God's coming. Let's hide in a tree. <laughs> this is in, we're going to hide in a tree like God can't see them. And like, this is crazy. But it's, it's something we still do, right? How many of you tried hiding from God before? I'll just pretend God can't see me. I've told you this story. My sister, my younger sister, when I was babysitting, she had to go, to go to sleep, but she walked past my room, and she just walked past like this. Better not fall off the stage here. She just covered her eyes so I couldn't see her. And in her marvelous Lebanese mind, she thought, if she can't see me, I can't see her. And so she blocked her eyes, pretending she can't be seen. Let me tell you, just because you can't see God does not mean God can't see you. God knows exactly where each and every one of us are. And the response from God is powerful. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Listen, he called to Adam. It wasn't, he was out there like Adam's over here. Where are you, Adam? He's like, Adam. Adam, I can see you, man. I know where you are. And this was not because God didn't know where he was. Why did he, why did he ask him where he was? So Adam could start thinking. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? I, I created the garden for you. I created paradise for you. I gave you everything you needed. Why do you, what are you doing over here? Where are you? This is a very, very gracious question because God could have just killed them instantly. He says, you guys are going to re rebel against me? Oh, hell no, I'm not having none of this. I'm not going to put up with 6,000 years of people rebelling against me. I'm going to kind of hear but he asked, where are you? Why did he ask? So he can be with them. He wasn't, where are you so I can get to you? He goes, where are you? So he can speak to them. So he can get closer to them. Same with us, church. Even though we transgress, mess up, make bad mistakes and rebel, turn from God. Do you know God's still searching for you? Still wants to be close to us? He's still crying out, where are you? Hebrews 4.16, I said this this morning. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? To obtain mercy, grace, and help. When we get closer to God, you get mercy, grace, and help. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He's calling out our name, saying, I'll help you. But unfortunately, most people fall into the third category in John five forty. If you are not willing to come to me, that you may have eternal life. Because we're trying to find life over here. But God says, life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's bring it to us. This question. God is asking you. I want you to ask yourself this question. As if God's asking you, where are you? Where are you at? Are you where you're supposed to be? Think about what God has done for you. Think about where God has placed you. Think about the blessing he's poured upon you. And he says, are you, are you hiding? 
where are you? And to be honest, if, if anyone should be hiding, it's God. Because if we transgress against him, he says, you, you transgress, fine, I'll just leave. You don't want me, I'll leave. But it is God who goes and does the searching. Leaves the 99 for one. How many times has God come searching for us when we're in some place where we shouldn't be? And he still wants relationship. No, this, this, really, this really gets me because here is God. He's poured out all of his love to Adam. He's poured out everything to Adam and Eve. He's given them the best. He showed them all the love that he can and they reject him. And they go and hide. I'm not sure, but maybe you, you've experienced this in life. You've poured out your heart to someone. Tell them how much you love them and you care for them. You do everything for them. And they turn away from you. They run and hide. They reject that love. And then every time you hear that person's name, you want to puke, right? Because at the start, it was all love, right? But then you reject that love and now I, don't, I want nothing to do with you. How many are glad that God's not like that? That even though he gave us nothing but love and we rejected it, he still comes searching for us. He says, where are you? Where are you? So I ask you that question. Where are you? Are you in the will of God? Are you where you're supposed to be? Where are you? It's a deep question, isn't it? And I could go into a whole sermon on all of these, but I'm going to keep them nice and short. Hopefully. Okay. Where are you? Question number two is, he asked, who told you? I've said this on New Year's, in our New Year's Eve service. The demonic wants to get inside of our mind. And the way he does this is through sin. When we sin, we allow the demonic inside of our mind. Have you heard me say this many times? The Bible backs it up. Sin makes us stupid. Anybody made a stupid decision when you were sinning? 100%. The fact that you were sinning was stupid in the first place. Like they go hand in hand. And the dumbest decisions we've ever made is because there was some sort of sin involved. Amen. Oh, I amen myself. Because look at Adam's excuse for running. Verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Your excuse was you were naked, Adam. Okay, did you just realize that now? You, you just realize now. Even though you were always like this. You know what? God is our covering. And when we sin, you remove that covering. And you realize how naked you really are. To this world, it's funny how people in the world think, oh, all of you, if all you got is Jesus. I've got this. I, that's why people search for money and for relationships. And they think it's nothing. But really the covering of God is everything. And you don't need what the world offers if you have Jesus. Then God gives them the reasoning why they're off. Verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Then he says this. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Because the reason you're thinking like that is because you ate the fruit, right? And this question here, who told you, is one of the deepest questions in the Bible. Again, I could preach all night, but I'm going to keep it short. But remember, questions are supposed to make us think. God is saying, did I tell you you were naked? Did I, did I tell you this? How do you know you're naked? In other words, who have you been talking to? You, church, you can't have a conversation with the devil... And expect to grow greater in your relationship with God. Adam says he was naked. God never said he was naked. Adam named himself. And there's people here tonight, you've named yourself. You've said, I'm worthless. You've said, I can't do it. You've said, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I haven't got what it takes. I have no future. 
I can't do the will of God. I'm too weak. I'm not good enough. And God is here tonight to tell you, I'll ask you a question. Who told you that? Who have you been talking to? Because God never said that. And if God didn't say it, who said it? <laughs> who told you? Who told you you can't make it? Did I say that? Did God say that? Who said that? Who have you been talking to up here? The reason God didn't want Adam and Eve to touch the fruit of the knowledge of tree of good and evil is because God wanted them to get their knowledge from God. Your knowledge of good and evil, what is right and wrong, he wanted it from him, himself, not from other people. Isaiah 4.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isn't that the generation we live in today? They call evil good, good, evil. Why, where'd you get that from? Who, to, who told you that? Who said darkness is better than light? Who, who, saw, who did all that? This is the work of the enemy because the devil wants to get in your mind. And so all those people that are going through those mind battles, let me just ask you this question. Who told you? Who told you that you can't make heaven your home? Who told you you can't be mighty in God? Who told you that you can't recover? Who told you? Because the devil likes to make you believe that God, God, even God can't help you, right? I know, Pastor, but I'm so far. God can't even, like, really? So all of our thoughts must come through the filter of the Word of God. And if it's not found in this book, you have no business thinking like that or speaking like that. If he didn't say it, it is not true. The Bible says that God has come to give us life and life more abundantly, that we understand that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against us, we shall condemn. This is our heritage. Every single person that talks smack about you, the Bible says, you shall condemn. There is a strength that comes. We understand, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, that God desires mercy over judgment. We understand that we are not forsaken. We are not left alone. We are accepted in the beloved. And we have to get these thoughts in here. And if any time you ever think something less, you ask yourself, who told you that? Because God says, you didn't get that from me. Who told you? Who told you that you can't break free? Who told you that you'll never get over this? Who told you? And most of the time, I think we've been chatting up the devil when God's been wanting to talk to us. So let's close with the third question. Where are you? Who told you? And now God really gets to the point here. What have you done? And reading this, I'm like, I was already, oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, far, I'm sorry. Yep. Me, yep. So this is how the devil deceives us and makes us do stupid things. Number one, it starts us doubting God's word. Genesis 3.1 in the Amplified says, Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit. The Bible says that the devil is skilled at deceiving us. Than any living creature of the field which God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God said, You, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And he tries to twist God's word. And so seeds of doubt in your mind about God's word. So first he wants you to doubt God's word. And that is the rock that we build on. If you build on anything else, it's going to be sand. It's going to come crumbling down. Firstly, doubting God's word. Secondly, it continues and appeals to our selfish ambitions and nature. Genesis 3.5 For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God and he offers the world. The devil always offers the world 
to us. But two verses later in verse 7, I haven't got it, but it's the biggest anticlimax in the whole Bible. You're going to be like God. And so they have it and they open their eyes and they realize they're naked. Oh, you was like, no, I'm not God. Because the devil offers you the world, but it leaves you naked. We don't really know how much God covers us until we step aside from his will, right? Ever been outside the will of God? And then every little thing affected you, right? I was talking to someone who, who backs it for a period of time, and they were saying one of the main things that she learned was that outside of God, everything takes your mind away. Everything hurts. And you don't realize how much God protects us. You know, the world offers greatness, pleasure, and joy, fulfillment. But really, like the Bible said, just leaves us naked with nothing. And Eve thought God couldn't be trusted. If, if, I, if I don't have this, therefore I'm missing out on, on life. I'm missing out on this. And God's just evil or God doesn't want me to have the good things. No, no, God wants you to have the good things. That's why he says don't have those things. And finally, she was disobedient. Verse 13, the Lord said to the woman, what is this? You have done. Now let's really grasp this because this will really help us long term. Why was it wrong to eat the fruit? Was it because the fruit was like, was like sour? Was it the fruit harmful to her? Was it because there was only one fruit on that tree? Was that because it was the only tree in the garden we can never reproduce again or it will take seven years to grow again? Why was it wrong to eat the fruit? And the answer to that is simple. It was wrong because God said it was wrong. Because many times we think, but what if it's got something good for me? What if, it, what if it's healthy? What if it tastes good? Many times we try and reason to people, you should do this for God because it's going to do this, it's going to do this, it's going to do this. No, no, you should do what God said because God said. That's it. Sometimes, but what's the advantage for me? There's many advantages, but if you're serving God for advantages, it'll be soon enough you go out the door for something else. We do what God said because God said. You must grasp this. Serving God is the best decision you'll ever make, and I believe that with all my heart. But there's going to be some times where you may have to make some hard choices. And it'll be much easier to do the opposite choice to what God said. But you have to come to that. What has God said? I've said this many times. Remember this. If God said it, that settles it. There's no argument after that. But what about this? What about my family? What about my friends? What about this person? What about my this and my that? What did God say? And so then the woman continues. She made excuses, as, as with Adam. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam goes, the woman you gave me. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. And we love blaming others. But can I just tell you on Judgment Day, it's going to be, what have you done? Not what have they done. Because we're easy, it's easy to serve God when everybody's serving God. But when, when, what, don't worry about other people. What about you? What have you done? And what are you doing? So we call this fruit on the tree an apple. We use that a lot, right? Eating the apple from the tree. And it wasn't an apple. Again, it doesn't really matter what fruit it was. The Bible doesn't say, but this is all it says, Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So what's this apple? What is this fruit? It appealed to her carnal nature. It appealed to her selfish nature. So what does this apple represent? This apple represents anything in the world that you want that God says no to. That you desire to satisfy yourself. What can't you resist or choose not to resist? 
Because some people, the apple on the tree is anger. And they refuse to not eat of its fruit. Some people, it's violence. Some people, it's just sex or sexual things. And they can't, or they choose not to, they choose to refuse to stop. Or pride, alcohol, self-pity, the victim mentality. What does this apple represent to you? Laziness, money, a job, and all the devil has to do is put something there and we grab it, right? We all have an apple on the tree because all of us have something that appeals to us the most. So what's your apple on the tree? And I beg of you not to bite because it will lead you into bondage. Got a quote here. It says, like Adam and Eve, we have a moral attraction to forbidden fruit and have an aversion to moral accountability. I like that because we're always attracted to things that are forbidden, right? We're attracted to these things. We want these. This is what I, I want this. I want this. But then it comes to accountability. Hey, 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 hey. You don't have to tell me what to do. <laughs> no, no, no one has to tell you what to do. But it'll be good if people stopped you from doing something silly. The good news is, church, is that in temptation, you can always resist. Isn't that good news? That you can always resist in temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such which is common to man. So overtaken, it means that it can't control you. Nothing can control you. That It's just common to everybody else. You're not the only person going through this. Everybody else goes through it as well. It says, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, you will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So when you're about to do that thing, God will always make a way of escape to stop you from doing that. There will always be something inside of you that could say, no, you don't have to do this. There is no excuse, but I, pastor, I can't stop. Yes, you can. It's your choice. The Bible is true. And you will always make a way of escape. It's just our decisions. So how do we resist? How do we resist taking from the apple that appeals so much to us? I've got another quote here, which I like. It says, if Adam and Eve had been eating the acceptable fruit, there would no longer be, they would, sorry, there would have been no hunger for the forbidden fruit. I like that. The reason sometimes we're so hungry for the forbidden stuff is because we're not full on what God gives us. We're not eating what God gives us. Have you ever gone to the grocery store when you were fasting? Everything looks good. You end up spending way too much money. And you buy this and you buy that because everything looks appealing. But after you eat, you're not, you don't desire it that much because you're, you're, you're satisfied. Fasting, it looks so good. Some of you, the next few weeks, things are going to look really, really good. But I guarantee you, once you start eating... Those things don't look so good anymore. And when we just do what God has told us to do, when we're praying saints and when we're Bible-believing people, as we read the Word of God and as we witness and come to church, as we fill ourselves with fellowship and evangelism, once we do these things, you'll realize the things of the world, they don't really, they don't really, they don't look that good. You're not as hungry for the world. You're not as thirsty for what the devil offers. You will never find paradise in what God has forbidden. Never. And can I say, every time you pass temptation, you get a little bit stronger. And you get a little bit stronger. And you get a little, like working out, you get a little bit stronger. Strength comes through strain. And every time there's some strain, you get stronger. And every time you go through the strain again, you get stronger. And over a period of months and years, you go, wow, look how strong that person is. How is that? It's because they, they resist the little temptations. But we all know how we lose muscle, right? Is when we stop working out and we choose to not be tempted anymore. And just give in. Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted. Can we note here who led him to be tempted? Verse 1, Matthew 4, 1. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit of God. So some of you, maybe your temptation this, this evening is not from the devil. It's from God. You'll see a reason for that soon. He goes through the three major temptations and eat this, jump off this cliff and all this and bow to me. Then he says, Luke 4, 13, 14. Now when the devil had ended every temptation and departed from him until the opportune time, then Jesus returned with the power of the Spirit. Because God wants to give us power, but power comes through temptation. Power comes through trials. Power comes through tests. And you'll be like, man, it's the devil testing me. It's the devil testing me. No, it is God leading you here so he can lead you to greater things. Because if Jesus couldn't resist turning a rock into bread, how could he resist the whipping post for us? How could he resist the nails going through his hands on the cross for us? But he passed the first test. And now God was able to lead him into greater things. Every temptation is an opportunity for good. It's always an opportunity to good. It's to strengthen you and I. So I encourage you at the bottom of my heart, when you go through temptation, remember this. God's making you strong. God's turning you into a man or woman of God. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it hurts. How many, the first time you go through some training, it hurts, man. You're in pain for a few days. You can't do anything. But you get through that, and you realize how strong you become in Christ. You will never meet someone who's strong in Christ who hasn't gone through the fire. You will never meet someone who's made it long term who hasn't gone through the tests and trials and temptations of this world. I pray with you, do not be like 2 Timothy 3, 4. Don't be a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Love God above pleasure. Love God above all these things and you'll realize how strong you'll get. And Jesus says, and God will say to us, what have you done? We could say, I've, I've done your will. So, as we close, what's the answer? How do we break free completely? You have to come to the question, does God know best? God says, don't eat of the tree, but I like it. But what did God say, right? Does God know best for us? Does God know, would, would you be happier without God? You have to make that decision yourself. And thank God that God's ways are always greater than our ways. Listen, church, you can't reject the lordship of God and expect to be free. Adam and Eve rejected God's lordship and they were put under the lordship of the demonic. And I know I'm getting quite deep here, but this is what happens to temptation. It's a, it's a decision. Who is lord? Who's in charge? Who will you serve? Who will you bow before? James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Why? Because when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's a crown waiting for us, church. We just need to stay true. So these three pretty deep questions. Where are you? Because God wants to get closer to us. Who told you? Because he wants us to get our confidence and self-worth from him. And what have you done? To remember that we must do what is best under God and remember that God's word is always true. These three questions, we live by these, we'll make it to the other side. Amen. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Hallelujah. No one moving around for the next few moments.